When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. But, you know, Stanley died. How do you feel about that? Just oh, yeah, no, no. I just I just found that literally just like about five minutes ago. Yeah, look, man. I mean, what? 70-something? 80-something? 95. Na- there you go. I mean, that's, that's a damn good... Uh, Run man, that's a damn good run. Ninety five, but, but basically all I want to know is, that, is that whether he filmed his um, cameo for Avengers um, two. Yes, he's filmed a whole bunch of cameos separately, and they're going to spread them out. So he's, oh, okay. he's already in there. Forward thinking, forward thinking. Anyway, R.I.P. Stanley. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is the Talking Tactics podcast. What's up? My name is Daniel. It's Double H. Hey everyone, Carl is back. Back to back podcast with Carl Who the funk it? <laughs> wow. Yeah. We do this podcast every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitter. By the way, on SoundCloud, we're near 400 on SoundCloud, so shout out to all those people. If you could get us to 400, that'd be dope. Um, if you have an Apple podcast review, you can leave it. If it's five stars, we'll read it on the show. We got reviews again from like all around the world, but nobody actually took the time to write anything down. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's cool Like when I see like the numbers go up by like two. And I'm like, okay, we probably got a five-star review. And then I go look, and yeah, we did, but like you didn't leave words. So please, like, leave us a review so we can shout you out on the show. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to mention on SoundCloud. You can leave comments while you're listening to the to the show. So feel free to leave comments. Anything else? You guys got stuff coming out this week? Uh, no, I, well, you know, it's international break, so um, yeah, it's not going to be that much stuff during this period. Do you know Uganda play Nigeria in friendlies? Ooh, Ooh beef! It's on, you're man. About to, you're about to take this L. Unless you got people from under the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we better house those guys, man. I actually think the game's in Nigeria, so we're probably going to take it out. But it's, it is what it is. But yeah, man, podcast rivalry right quick. Um, Carl, you got anything coming out? Uh, nothing nothing coming out in terms of writing. Other, well, there's going to be my weekly piece in The Athletic for Manchester United fans, paywall content there. I will have something for you on the week of the North London derby that I think you're really, really going to enjoy. But I can't tell you anything else until then. All right. So let's start with the game of the week, Premier League game of the week, that is. The Manchester derby happened. Manchester City basically (laughs) 
<laughs> they destroyed Manchester United. Even though, even though for a while, like Manchester United had hope when, no. uh, when Martial scored the penalty, but like there was really no hope in that game. So I'm gonna start with I'm gonna start with Carl because you're a United fan. What did you think? I think it was a formality the moment the team sheet was announced. Uh, Manchester United could not name Paul Pogba. I know Pogba comes into much discussion in world football, but basically when Man United play well, it normally means Paul Pogba has played well. And without Paul Pogba, United were never going to beat Manchester City. And it was the only reason I wouldn't call that loss humiliating was because I knew that loss was coming. That was the golfing class between City and United is ridiculous. Manchester United finished that game with 35% possession. They had one shot on target. That one shot on target was the penalty. Um, it took Manchester City 12 minutes to score. In the 12 minutes it took for City to score, Manchester United only completed five passes um, on 11 attempts. So United are averaging less than one successful passing attempt a minute. They only had five touches of the ball in the final third in that opening 12 minutes. No, four touches of the ball in the final third against Manchester City in that first 12 minutes. In the very first goal alone, Raheem Sterling had more touches of the ball than United did in their entirety. It's not even fighting in a bigger kid and the big kid holding your arm's length. The only thing that saved Manchester United was the fact that City got complacent. Manchester United are eighth place in the Premier League table right now. They're 12 points away from Manchester City, who are top. They're also 12 points away from Cardiff, who are in the relegation zone. Manchester United are negative one goal difference. <laughs> That's the first time they've been in negative goal difference after wait, 12 wait, wait, games. Wait, 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 Carl, can you say one positive thing? Just one positive thing. No, 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 <laughs> no, let, me, let, me let me just wrap these up. They are, they're at minus one uh, goal difference at the moment. This is the first time they've been with a negative goal difference after 12 games in the Premier League since 1977. This is... Bad times at Manchester United. If you want to talk about positives, we can talk about Lukaku <laughs> seems to have uh, returned from his muscle injury and uh, Mara Fellaini seems to be fully fit again. That, that's all I can really say. But at time of writing, uh, the bookies have give Manchester United about a 15% chance of making the top four. It's not looking good. So am, am I right in thinking like maybe last week or sometime before you were saying that and a Herrera is the solution to Manchester United's midfield. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I mean, it, it shows what can happen in, in, in two seasons. It, it truly can. As well, Two seasons ago, I said and Herrera on the, I believe we're talking about, no, we've always been Mourinho podcast here. Essentially, I said and Herrera looked like he could be the real villain and be the savior. And, and Herrera is no longer the passing option that he used to be. When you saw that lineup of and Herrera, Nemanja Matic, and Marouane Fellaini, you knew what United were going to try and do. They were going to try and just churn up that central midfield and try and just beat everyone up. And that doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore when you've got Bernardo Silva, David Silva. It says a lot that, yeah, United didn't have Paul Pogba, but Manchester City didn't have Kevin De Bruyne, and they still completely outplayed Manchester United. A telling stat is, in the Manchester derby, Bernardo Silva, basically Kevin De Bruyne's not-as-good replacement, created six chances. No Manchester United player has created more than five chances in a game since the start of last season. It's just wow. a huge golfing, golfing class. This is, this is, this is, this is the haves versus the have-nots, and Manchester is blue and will be blue for the foreseeable future. At what point did Ander Herrera arrive in Siberia? Around 
2 a.m. last night. So Honestly. is he being is he is he being reviewed or is he going straight into class? No, no, he's, he's in he's in he's in class C. Class C. <laughs> what is he being taught in class C? Um, he's taught not to give away the, the ball so easily. He's taught to actually have basic footballing ability, especially when you're in <laughs> midfield. And whenever I see guys like Ander Herrera, especially his performance against Man City, I think of people who work two jobs. I think of people who, in their lifetime, they'll probably never see what Herrera makes in a month. And I just say to myself that, what a crazy world we live in where Ander Herrera is earning thousands, hundreds of thousands to give the ball away, not make basic passes, not be able to move with, with, with the ball. And he's going to walk away with hundreds of thousands a month. Like, you're not doing your job. <laughs> You know, you're not, you're not doing your job. And I just think that, just to really echo what Carl said, I mean, it was embarrassing watching that because especially when you go from... Because remember, both of these games were, were hyped. Bayern Dortmund was hyped. This game was hyped. But because it's a Premier League, this game was hyped even more. But when you look at Bayern Dortmund, just the decline of match quality, nothing against Man City, but when you just look at how only one team was playing that, that game, United were just relying on very tepid counter-punches. Like... The golf in class between City and United were just scary. And we have to stop saying whether City will win the Premier League. We have to now be discussing how many points are they going to achieve? How many records are they going to break? And can, can they reach 100 points again? I mean, nobody is going to beat Man City to, to, to the title. They are, they are, they are too, too good. Because this, these dudes got 100 points last season and they've improved. They've gotten better. Like Sterling is playing the best football of his career. But the Silva has improved. You know, Aguero is still sharp. I mean, Silva is still sharp. So it's like, you know what? Kawaka has, has improved. BM, no, no, that was, that, that was a nasty game. But look, man, is Mourinho to be blamed? No. He's not, he's not to be blamed. I mean, what's, I mean, what's he going to do? I mean, what's he supposed to do with uh, Ander Herrera? Someone asked a question. They said the only taps. United wins. Mourinho is GOAT. United loses. Manchester United players are bricks. Don't blame Uncle Moo. HH Logic, LOL. Y'all need to discuss this. So what does Mourinho do that's wrong? Can we at least get one thing from you that Mourinho does that's wrong? Um, it's not that it's wrong. It's just that I've always said it's a bad fit. Mourinho's psychology doesn't mesh well with this United team. So maybe I can say that he's maybe not malleable enough, which is what made Ferguson so good. Ferguson could put on very different hats. So Ferguson could be, okay, let's go possession. Let's go attacking. Let's tweak this here. So he, he could very much adapt himself to the players that he had. Mourinho can't do that. And in the situation that he's in, you have to be adaptable. But I think that, because you see, it's complex. And maybe Carl can speak to, to this. Did he generally pick all these players? Was Lukaku, Herrera, all these guys were 100% his picks? Or was it a case of where he didn't get his, his first pick and the board said, you know what? Nah, take this, this dude. Because Pep can't do anything with, with, with these guys. I doubt Ancelotti could, you know. The females could do better, you know, you know, you know, you're not winning with these guys, no way. No, no, no. And I think this is this is a very, very key point to me. I don't think Manchester United can win the league with this team. All right. We could give them whatever manager in the world right now, and you would not be able to win the Premier League title with, with that squad, regardless of what manager you have. Right. But the argument is after two and a half years and five transfer windows, this should be a Mourinho football side. This should be a team that is very, very good defensively. This should be a team that can defend set pieces well and can attack set pieces well. This team cannot do that. This should be a team that has very, very resolute um, central midfield options, right? This is a team that should be able to beat you up 
in central midfield. This team cannot do that. This should be a team that can defend crosses ably. This football team cannot do this. This should be a team that has a very clear, distinct, creative hub that is backed up by two or three members of personnel. At the moment, what they did was they have Paul Pogba, who is the main creative hub. He used to be supported by Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan was brutalized and sent away. And then they brought in Alexis Sanchez, a player that Pogba doesn't particularly seem to have great chemistry with, which further broke the squad. Sanchez coming into the side and playing on the left disrupted Lukaku's performance, disrupted Martial's performance, and also disrupted Pogba's performance. And the only reason to date I can think of why Mourinho wanted Alexis Sanchez and made him the highest paid player in the league was purely because it looked as if Sanchez was going to Manchester City. You, you look at that game on Sunday, for one, why is Sanchez not as good as what he was when he was at Arsenal? And for two, how on earth, why did Pep Guardiola ever, ever, ever think that Sanchez would be a good fit for City. He's not fit for purpose. The argument that Mourinho got, what, what do you expect me to do? Is, well, could you please have a better fullback option than Ashley Young? You've had five transfer winners. Right? <laughs> 40% 40% of Manchester City's attacks went down Ashley Young's wing compared to 20 or so percent of attacks that went down Luke Shaw's wing. Because if you went to any football manager in the Premier League and went, how are you going to beat that United side? They'll probably go, yeah, I'm going to attack that 30-year-old winger who's not really a right-back. This isn't rocket science. Marino's football is not particularly complicated, which, you know, is good and bad. But but it, it's it's become very easy to beat, especially in a league format. Now, that's not to say Mourinho can't do well in cup competitions. You know, he, he won a Europa League, he won a League Cup. The, the 2-1 victory of Juventus in the Champions League demonstrates that over 90 minutes or 120 minutes, Mourinho's magic of just beat you up and dominate the set pieces can probably get you through enough knockout rounds that, yeah, I'd probably say United aren't going to be embarrassed in the Champions League. But I, I don't think Mourinho's going to win a Premier League anymore. Mourinho's managerial record with Manchester United is his third worst managerial stint in football. His worst one is his uh, stint in his second spot, Chelsea. His second worst one was the stint right at the beginning of his of his managerial career when it was in Portugal. And now it's Manchester United. This is a this is a manager who's getting steadily worse. He learned his trade, perfected his style of football, won a whole bunch of trophies with Inter, Chelsea, and Real Madrid, and is now beginning his downward slump. And Porto. By the way, some someone asked, why does Mourinho get away with the excuse that United are supposedly not a good team when his only selling point is that he can win with smaller teams like Porto, despite United being bigger and a better side with millions spent? So basically, like... You know how people say, oh, Mourinho's a great manager because he won with Porto. If you can win with Porto, why can't you win with Manchester United? And I think it goes to Carl's point where it's like back in 2003, 2004, maybe Mourinho's tactic worked or his philosophy works. But now that you have it's, – it's a new age of football, you can't do the same things and expect the same results. Although it was interesting and have hope I want to get your, your touch on this um, about the Champions League game. <laughs> the end of the game how did you feel like we all know what's going to happen Mourinho and United that divorce is happening basically it's like a marriage where they're fighting all the time they'll never get to together but for some reason they just don't want to finalize the divorce papers and the Juventus game was like an amazing night out for some it's it's been a really unhappy marriage but for some reason just had an amazing quality night out but you all, you all know how it's going to end but it was still a great night out you had fun because that's Mourinho's celebration. Obviously, it was in response to what the Juve guys were saying, but it was also a response to his frustration this season. 
and how people have said you're finished, you're done, you're under decline. So that was a lot of frustration that he wanted just to pull out. And look, say what you want, man. Mata Fellini, they changed that game. And getting a victory in Turin was huge. After so many years, based on just how good Juventus are, you know, um, it was very, very satisfying. One last thing on uh, the Manchester Derby before we move on. Do you feel Pogba's absence had any meaningful sway on the result? Or do you think City would have won regardless? Because Mourinho was like, if he had Pogba, then bringing Fellaini on when we're losing 2-1, even assuming you're losing is kind of weird. But if you have Pogba and you're down 2-1 and I bring on Fellaini, then they would have been in big, big trouble. How do you feel about Pogba's absence and whether that oh, would no, have I mean, effect or not? City would still have won, but it would have been more, more of a game. Because remember, Pogba was instrumental in the game last season at the Etihad. And United literally did not have a midfield. Hence why United's tactic was let's get this ball from defense to attack as quickly as possible because there's nobody that has any kind of guile or technique in, in midfield to really do anything. Now, this is the interesting thing. This begs the question. Mourinho spent $52 million on Fred. Where, where is he? Is he not fit for purpose? You've Great just, question. You've just spent $52 million, which is not a small amount of money on a midfielder, and he doesn't start in this game. He doesn't even play. What, what, what is going on? And this, and this is the argument of, oh, Mourinho times the ties, all this and this. Yeah, this United side probably shouldn't be, shouldn't be winning the Champions League or winning the Premier League. But I'd, I'd imagine if you put Pochettino, Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, uh, I, perhaps even someone, not even of the top six quality, but you could probably take Silva or Eddie Howe and they'd probably come up with a more coherent idea of what to do. I'm not saying about performance. I'm not saying whatever. I'm saying a more coherent idea of what seems to be going on. How the because mighty have fallen if Eddie Howe is being <laughs> a better option. I really, I really, I really, I really like Eddie Howe. This will be a thing I'll be talking about, I think, in podcast episodes going forward, is that if Pochettino leaves Spurs, Spurs should go out and go get Eddie Howe. Hmm. I think that makes sense. This is the big thing about Mourinho and the big thing that uh, people that have been on this podcast have said is Mourinho no longer understands what makes him good anymore. That the reason why his Porto side and his Chelsea side was so good back in the day was one, they were fitter than everyone else. Like key thing, they they just ran harder and beat you up. In the, in the same way that Jupp Heinke's Bayern Munich were just tall, strong, fast guys, they beat you up loads. And that was his big thing in the original style of football. But the thing is now, Manchester United are nowhere near the fittest side in football. There are at least three sides in the Premier League that can press better than United. City can press better than Spurs can press better. Liverpool can press better. When you've got Jordan Henderson running 12 kilometers a game and, you know, Nemanja Matic barely able to reach 10, you have a problem. And that's not a slight on Nemanja Matic, but, you know, let's look at Nemanja Matic, for example. Nemanja Matic was brought, I, I'm convinced that Matic was brought in not because he was exactly what United needed, which was a defensive shield and someone to release Paul Pogba. Because he wasn't the best midfielder available in the market for that job. I think Mourinho bought him because Mourinho knew him from Chelsea. And if you look at Mourinho's biggest buys, like some of these big buys and the players he plays a lot in the Premier League for Manchester United, they are players that he knows. Ibrahimovic he's, being... He's playing, exactly, he's playing, he's playing Ibrahimovic, he's playing Lukaku, he's playing Nemanja Matic. He's playing people he has encountered before because his people skills, his interpersonal skills are no longer what they used to be. 
he's, you know, him and Rui Farah have admitted that they don't understand how millennials work. He goes, I try and beat this guy up and motivate him and kick him up the bum. And he just seems to cry some more. I don't understand how to get through to this man. And that's not a failing on the young people like Luke Shaw, Anthony Marshall, and whatnot. That's a failing on, on Mourinho. If you want to continue to be a football manager in 2018, you need to learn how to talk to 20-year-olds in 2018. And that is not jumping on them when they're in the middle of the shower and telling them they're going to be the greatest player in the world, like he did with Frank Lampard back in the day. Can City be caught in one word? No. No. So is there any point to talk about, you know, Liverpool beating Fulham? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm really interested in... Sorry, Hope, I'll let you go first. Okay, a few things. Fulham are, are a disgrace. Jankovic should be sacked because how do you say I'm not to blame the players to take responsibility when tactically those that guys don't have a flipping clue? 15 max... I still feel maybe twenty. <laughs> you know, like maybe I can push it up to up to twenty, but I'm stubborn, so I'm still gonna say fifteen max. And yeah, Liverpool, at least they're still keeping pace with Man City, but I think in the end it will tell and they will eventually not. I mean, I just I don't I just see Liverpool slipping. I think City can su- sustain this. If Liverpool can somehow, and I don't think it'll happen, if Liverpool can somehow get to the Etihad and it's still two points or three points or four points, maybe we can have something interesting. But I think that by the time they get to the Etihad, it'll probably be like six or seven points. Mm. So. <sighs> it's all I'm just, I think Pep's going to win the league every season he remains in England. It's particularly interesting that this is happening when Kevin De Bruyne is injured. He's arguably Manchester City's best player. And yet, um, right now, Manchester City are, have the most points, goals, shots, dribbles, and possession totals in the league. They've got the best passing accuracy in the league. Sergio Aguero is the top goal scorer. Raheem Sterling and Benjamin Mendy are the top assists. John Stones is the best solo pass completion. So here's the terrifying thing. Liverpool could end the season with 90 points and still end up second. And this is the thing. Manchester City are, I keep saying this, Manchester City are historically good. To beat City, to win this Premier League, you are going to have to be better than nearly every single Premier League side in history. And fair play, Liverpool are giving it a go. Chelsea are still unbeaten for the season. Spurs have made their best ever start in Premier League history. This is in post-92. Liverpool right now, the interesting thing about Liverpool against Fulham was they didn't play the traditional 4-3-3. All they did was they played the 4-2-3-1. Shaqiri was wide on the 4-2-3-1 and Firmino played as the 10. And basically, um, Salah was your out-and-out number nine. It offered a little bit more... Um, defensive stability, Liverpool were less vulnerable on the break. But it's interesting to see how Klopp is now forced to be really, really ambitious with his tactical play in in order to keep up with City. It's a bit like how, um, if I don't know if I listen to this podcast, particularly follow basketball, but right now, Golden State Warriors are amazing. They're probably going to win the league. And the problem you have is, like, do you, do you wait for Golden State Warriors to get old and that team to break down? Or do you get really ambitious and try and beat them now? And similarly, on the other side, LeBron James is always going to win the Eastern Conference. So teams were going, right, do we try and wait and just buy young players and try and like wait for LeBron to get old? Or do we just go all in? And something that's particularly interesting right now is now LeBron's left the Eastern Conference. All these teams are going all in to try and win the Eastern Conference now while LeBron is still weak. And I think we're going to get that now in the Premier League. I think you're going to get... Amazing NBA analogy, Carl. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Round of applause, sir. Um, well done. I think you're going to see that now in the Premier League. I think you've got Liverpool, which are basically going all in. 
we're all in. We're going to buy Allison. We're going to buy Van Dyke. This is like one of the best times we have to buy silverware. This is Klopp finally going to peak, and we're going to be super ambitious. And you've also got other teams. You know, I'd say Arsenal right now are kind of like we're all right to just wait for Pep to leave because we need to rebuild, and we don't want anyone to pay attention to the fact that we're not going to make a Premier League title competition yet. So we'll just wait for a couple of years. And I think Spurs are somewhere in the middle. I think quite a few teams are now going. We're going to wait this out just for a little bit and let them all let Pep get old. Let David Silva get old, like Sergio Aguero get old and see what happens. But I think that's enough talking about that game in particular. You mentioned Arsenal. You want to talk about Arsenal scraping uh, the result against Wolves? I'd say Wolves were very annoyed that they drew. Yeah. I'd say they're annoyed that they drew. The game was well on for them to win. Um, I'd say for Arsenal, we warned them that they were consistently outperforming. They were getting points that their performances didn't deserve. And I think it's it's finally come back today to bite them. Elsewhere, Chelsea drew 0-0 with Everton. Do you want to talk about that, Dan? Um, well, yeah, we can talk about it quickly. I'm scared that Everton might have laid a blueprint in how to beat Chelsea, or at least stop them. And all the stats you mentioned that Manchester City are at the top of, whether it's goals, points, whatever the case may be, you didn't mention passes completed. Mm-hmm. And that's because... Chelsea are number one in passes completed, which is an interesting comparison or contrast to what we were last year under Conte. And the main kind of fulcrum in that or the main cog in that kind of stat for Chelsea is the performance of Jorginho. And it's interesting that Marco Silva, more than concentrating on Hazard or Willian or Morata, his thing was, we're going to try to stop Jorginho. That way, the forward players, they won't get their supply or at least they won't get it in the same way that can create danger. And other teams are going to study what Everton did, especially because there's a little break coming. And that could be trouble for Chelsea if Jorginho gets found out. It was interesting that Sarri actually took Jorginho off and put on Fabregas. Because maybe, I don't know if he was thinking Jorginho's played a lot of minutes, he's tired, or if it was more because he did play in the Europa League. But maybe he was thinking, maybe Fabregas can give me something different with balls over the top to Morata or whatnot. So... I am curious to see how this game, if at all, affects how Chelsea play moving forward. In addition to that, I know Sarri's wed to the 4-3-3, but why bring on Ross Barkley when you could play 4-2-4 and play Giroud and Morata together? I know we're an advocate for like two striker systems or whatnot, not even to start, but just like if you have to win the game or if you need to win the game, how come Barkley's coming on and not Giroud? I think that raises a really interesting question as to do Chelsea believe they have to win the game? Of course they, they, they do. Well, well see, well, 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 sorry at the end of the day is still Italian, so I don't necessarily expect him to just put on two strikers with two wingers and take off you know, a midfielder and just have Conte on a yellow card just out there just running around doing his thing. But if Chelsea are trying to win the league, which I don't know if they are, maybe they which are, they, which maybe, the, maybe they're looking at top this. four as the main goal. So if that's the case, fair enough. But I think most people would be like, we're trying to win games. We're not just trying to draw games, especially not at home to Everton. That risk is, I think, worth it, at least for 10, 20 minutes. But you have a point, so I'm going to let you go. I'd say it raises bigger questions as to where Chelsea are, are putting themselves. Where, where is their objective right now? I don't think Chelsea absolutely need to be Everton at home to end up where they want to be this season, because I think Chelsea want to be in the Champions League spaces. They don't want to win this title. I think Chelsea are very much going to be up next, wait and see for Pep Guardiola to chill out for a bit. You've won two Premier Leagues in the last five seasons. Right? You've, you've had your boom and bust now with Sarri and 
with whatever uh, difficulties Roman Abramovich is having in terms of cash flow, Chelsea are moving to a, they would quite like to be self-sustainable or, or to a degree more self-sustainable. I think they'd be happy with a Champions League spot. Maybe Eden Hazard leaves for a triple figure sum and then using that money to reinvest and then getting consistent top four finishes until Pep says, actually, I'm quite tired. I'm going to leave because that will probably leave Chelsea in a better position. I think Chelsea aren't, Chelsea season is not going to be defined with a nil-nil draw against Everton. Chelsea season is going to be defined with their performances in derby games against Arsenal and Spurs and their performances in Europa League. That game could have been, been, been won. Obviously, like Everton tactically got it right in how they made it difficult for, for Chelsea. But look at that that's second half. Yeah, it was a difficult opp- opportunity, but William, you know, you could have put that away. Hazard was close as well. But the only thing with Morata is this. <laughs> People will come away saying, hey, man, he didn't get enough service. He wasn't given enough opportunities. And there are two things to that. First thing is this. When you're a top quality striker and you're in a game like, like that, you have to know that that chance is going to come. And when it comes, you've got to take it. So you're not going to get five or five chances. This is just one of those games where, as a top quality striker, you have to be on it. You have to be right place, right time, just as what Lewandowski did in his chance um, in the first half against Dortmund. And that chance came. On a week, he tried the, the, the finesse finish and everything. When Hazard to put the ball across, you've got, to, you've got to put that away. And you do that, you win the game 1-0. Because this was one of those games. And the second thing is that for Morata, like, you have to move more. You have to be much more available. Perhaps you have to have to do more with, more with the ball. Because again, look, if you're now going to be the primary striker and, and everything, you've got to work for it to, to cement your place there. So I think you waiting for, oh, no, man, I'm not getting the right delivery. I'm not getting the right service. Look, man, it's 2018, man. The whole thing of the target man doesn't really fall. So the striker now has to do a lot more work now. You know, it then goes to the whole point of where Chelsea still need a top quality striker. So you can't say that we, we absolve Morata of all wrongdoing because he wasn't given enough service. He, he had a chance. He didn't take that chance. And he needs to move more. I'm forgetting the exact stat. But he was offside like five, six, seven times in that game. That might speak to like your movement point. I, I want to see Giroud in those situations, man. Just like trying to win the game. You see, but- Giroud is the better. See, for me, I would say Giroud is the better option. Like I said, okay, you know what? Starts with Morata. Starts with him. By the time it gets to the 60, 65th minutes and it's still 0-0, either you sub him off for Giroud mm-hmm. or, you, or you play both of them. Because Giroud just brings something different. Giroud scored for like the first time in I think like a year. Yeah. On Thursday. So like he, he would have been confident. Like, come on, bring him on. Um no, yeah, no, last thing is Fabregas should be used more. I think that for me, this thing with Fabregas, he's not he's not been relevant since 2011, 2012. Okay, yeah, maybe he did that whole thing when Chelsea won thing, but really Fabregas was one of the best midfielders, five, six midfielders back in 11, 20, 2012. For me, Fabregas at his best is is better than Jorginho at his best. Absolutely not. <laughs> What? You can't do it anymore. You can't do it anymore. Like his legs are done. It's no, but I, I said that Jorginho. So you said that Jorginho at his best is better than than, than um, Fabregas at his best. Fabregas. Nah, did, nah, nah. See, the problem is, the problem is, Fabregas hasn't had a best for two or three seasons now. He's done. He's got too many miles on the clock. He can barely play a full season. His numbers go off a cliff. 
around about February time because he's accrued so many minutes. He either doesn't like defending or can't defend. I can't tell because he's never seemed to want to able to do any defensive work. It doesn't work. No, but no, no, no. But he's good enough for the Europa. Look, look, I know, I know he was. I know he probably played in a lot of football games that you enjoyed watching when you were younger. But Fabregas in 2018 is not fit for purpose for a football side that wants to finish in the top four. <laughs> It's almost twenty eighteen. You cannot be your start in twenty eighteen if you want to finish in the top four. Not when Liverpool are that good. Not when Tottenham Hotspur. You can do a job, but like to do a job better than Jorginho. No, 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 no. But basically, when I say that, okay, overall, hundred percent, Jorginho is the better option because he's younger, he's fitter, he can play ninety minutes. Fabregas can play ninety minutes. But when I say at his best, I'm looking at specifics, and the specifics I'm looking at is. Deep line playmaker making those those passes. Well, okay, look, we just look, me, I everything you're saying is basically I like for a pass. Hope. You're just saying I like Cesc Fabregas, which is fine. But just know that he's not fit for purpose and not superior to Jorginho in any well, facet. Look, man, of football I don't, I don't know how much can be done with Jojo Jorginho, man. So that's what I'm saying, bro. I, I no, I, I will. Th- I, I do think Fabregas's eye for a pass is better than Jorginho's in terms of like the varied ways that you can pass. Like Jorginho is very good on the floor. Fabregas can do it on the floor and through the air. And I do think Fabregas is probably a little bit more smart and sees the pitch better. But I would still rather have Jorginho just because of what else he can do on the pitch. But let's not get stuck on this point. Um, Carl, I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. I'm going to give you all the Saturday games, basically. And if you have anything interesting from those games, I'll give you, you know, two, three minutes to give us what you think. Sure. Um, Cardiff beating Brighton Hove Albion 2-1. Well done to Cardiff. They're up to 17th. I thought they'd have a horrifically bad season, but they're not going to be a derby. Well done. Huddersfield drew 1-1 with West Ham. Disappointing for West Ham. Huddersfield need to start scoring on goals, otherwise they're going to get relegated. Leicester drew nil nil with Burnley. Disappointing for Leicester. However, it's their first home game since the helicopter incident. They they are they are a, a team, a city, and a community um, grieving and, and rebuilding. So uh, all the best for Leicester this season. Newcastle beat Bournemouth two one. This was the big one, big surprise for me this weekend. Bournemouth have been playing, have been essentially the best of the rest, uh, and Newcastle looked as if they were about to slowly fall into relegation race. But uh, a run on brace has taken Newcastle up to 14, which shows that, I, I, yeah, Rafa Benitez may not be the uh, Champions League, La Liga winning manager that Real Madrid hoped he'd be. But in terms of getting a bunch of ragtag misfits to play well above their worth, he's your man. Newcastle's football isn't particularly pretty or ambitious, but considering what he has to work with and considering the... Otherwise toxic nature of Newcastle club. I think Rafa Benitez and his work should be commended. Southampton drew 1-1 with Watford. I'm tired of Southampton. Fire Mark Hughes. Relegate Southampton. <laughs> Come. Oh. Oh. Where's Liverpool going to get their players from? Southampton just leave. They've, they've got everyone else. That's it. The, the conveyor belt has uh, has ended. Um, Crystal Palace lost 1-0 to Tottenham Hotspur. Hot, Tottenham Hotspur, um, Juan Foyth. Got the winner there. Really interesting thing about that was basically Hugo Lloris had a proper, you should sell me first half. And then second half, oh no, I'm really, really important. I don't know what Spurs do in regards to their goalkeeping situation, but Lloris will probably need to start being moved on in the next two seasons because he's not fit for purpose anymore. Well, I think they've got 14 points from an available 16 in games away from home this season or, or something like that. 
The Spurs shouldn't be this good. I have no idea how Pochettino is doing it. With with buying nobody in the summer. Yeah, it is it is remarkable how yeah. good Spurs are doing. And like a, like a really small note, Musa Suzoko has been a competent footballer for three games. Oh no, no, no. He's a brick. He's a brick. <laughs> um quick, quick, quick point, because something that Carl said just brought a point in my mind. A manager who is working with scraps and making them play above to their capabilities. We all agree that Mourinho is going to get sacked. Benitez in this Man United situation doesn't seem like a bad idea. Oh, it does. Mm -mm. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Pochettino does. to Manchester United. Yeah. I was going to be like, yeah, of course. <laughs> he said Benitez. Um, Rafa Benitez, by default, is a pragmatic manager, right? Yeah. Much in the same... He is, he is. In, in the same way that Mourinho was great in the early 2000s because he was playing a style of football that no one else can and his team was fitter than everyone else. The similar thing for Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez was one of the very first managers to play 4-2-3-1 when everyone was still sort of playing 4-4-2. He was fantastic with Valencia. He was good with Liverpool. He got, he got into problems with Liverpool because he wasn't really supported by the board at the time and he rotated a bit too much and couldn't beat all the smaller teams. But he, he's, he's That goal did not cross the line. Chelsea should have advanced. The fraud... He's by and large a pragmatist, and the problem is Manchester United's squad needs someone to just go, this defence is terrible, just go out there and score loads of goals, which is why I suggested Silva and Eddie out, because they are managers who are like, yeah, just go for it, mate. It'd be great to get a manager that can sort out the defence, but right now, if, uh, if you want to get someone in, it's got to be an attacking manager. Or if you want to get someone in next season, I'd like someone who can play pragmatic football and then eventually open up. My current, my current hope, I've said this before, I really want Jardim. I think Jardim and a, a correct director of football is perfect for Manchester United. Before we get to Dirk Classica, you, you brought up uh, a, a phrase that someone asked us a question. Um, Shady McGrady, MFBain301 says, what does a director of football actually do? Right, okay. So, I think it's in the name, but if you could elaborate on it a little bit further. The director of football is a particularly interesting remit because it can change based on job. But the idea is that uh, director of football is primarily occupied with player recruitment, contracts, and uh, long-term planning. It would fall to a director of football to see if it'd be worth letting Luke Shaw run down his contract or whether or not you'd offer him another five-year contract. If Manchester United bought Fred, it'd be fall down to the director of football to say if we're going to get him on a three-year contract or a five-year contract. It can also fall on the director of football's remit to decide which manager should be hired to lead the football team based on what personnel he has hired. It, it varies very much based on club to club. So Kamali's time at Liverpool when he was director of football was very much he was very much in charge of player recruitment through that money ball system. So he was tasked to try and find players that were undervalued in the transfer market and try and, and buy players that were available for, for five to 12 million, but actually had a worth of maybe 20 to 30 if put in the correct system. He also advised as to what manager would be the sort of person to bring out that value. That manager, the director would also go, are we buying players so they can be fantastic now for the first team or are we buying players so... Maybe we can send them out on loan and do other things. If you want a really good director of football, you want uh, Marotta, who was at Juventus and recently left this season. Marotta was the gentleman who helped bring in a midfield of Perlo, Pogba, Marchisio and Vidal for less than 20 million. 
And his thing was very much player recruitment. His thing was very much, we need to get to this point in the Prem, in the in Serie A. How do we go out and get the players that can do that and balance the books? Um, another really great example with director of football is Tixie Berg's thing. I, the Man City guy. The Man City director of football. Interesting <laughs> thing about that was he was brought in because he did such a good job at Barcelona. What's really interesting was when Manchester City first got their uh, Abu Dhabi money, their first thing was, right, let's get into top four. How are we going to get into the top four? Who's challenging the top four right now? Aston Villa. Let's go get a whole bunch of Aston Villa players. Stop them from getting to the top four and then establish ourselves as the beachhead. Right, who's next? Who's in the top four right now that we can buy with some of their players and copy their model? Arsenal, let's do that. So they did that again. Then they went, we want to win Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues. How do we do that? We need directors of football and we need other personnel that can do long-term planning. Let's go get the people that help Barcelona build Guardiola style football. And they just bought the director of football and personnel that did that. And now you're seeing the fruits of that labor. Manchester City have Barcelona's former director of football and Barcelona's former manager. And it's no surprise they're playing Barcelona style football. This is what a director of football can do if you hire correctly. But a director of football is very much in keeping with the new modern style of football. Because in a time where most football managers are only really at their clubs for two to three seasons, it forced the director of football to basically go, here is what we want to do in the next five, ten years. And here's where we want to be in the next five, ten years. And here's how we uh, factor in stadium changes, development of certain players. If a certain player develops ahead of schedule and we have to sell him, here's how we can replace him very much. Uh, Manchester United need one. I very much hope to get my offer. Whether or not they do uh, remains to be seen. All right, so um, let's go around Europe quickly. Der Klassiker, that's Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. I think somewhere someone said that you called this the game of the year. Yeah, it's, a, it's the game of the season so far. Amazing game. End-to-end chances at both ends. And yeah, just the, it was, was an amazing advert for the Bundesliga. You know, just, it was just an amazing game to watch. And that, it just reminds people that the Premier League isn't the best league technically it's just the most marketable league the quality of the premier league isn't very good <laughs> you know as in the city liverpool game was quite boring the city game against united was pretty much one-sided so there hasn't actually been a really quality game in the premier league so far but this barney Dortmund game high quality Chelsea liverpool was pretty good um, it was good, but not as good as the Bayern Dortmund game. No way. If um, I can interject here, when you talk about high technical ability, mm. Classica was a mess, mate. Like, it was it was exciting. It was thrilling. It was end-to-end action. But if mm. you want to talk about raw technical ability, which I always interpret as in, my brain tells me to do this, and then I go off and do this with my body, and then I do that successfully. That is how I rank technical ability. There were a lot of missed passes, a lot of shank shots, a lot of fouls. And the game was eventually decided in part due to Manuel Neuer messing up a foul and giving away a penalty. Well, no, well, for, no, for me, I look at how the chances were created, how Bayern decided to attack, how Dortmund decided to attack once they really got their game going, especially in the second half. Dortmund's amazing one-touch four for football, Bayern's much more economical approach to creating chances with the uses of Ribery, Gennabria, and Lewandowski's amazing striking ability. So it was just the different blend of styles and how well they employed those blend of styles. Yes, defensively, both teams were in great. Dortmund's defense is very naive and very young. Bayern's defense are guys who are old and need to be moved on. But still, that doesn't negate to how entertaining it was, how good... Because entertaining is one thing, where it's like, oh, end-to-end, and this is whatever. But no, it was entertaining, but the football 
that was played was very good. And you, you look at um, Michael Royce's finish for the second goal. You look at Akaka's amazing finish and what led to his goal, both on Lewandowski's goals and his third goal that was disallowed as well. No, no, I mean, there was, just, there was too much great footballing aspects in that. And again, Premier League, you just don't really see that. You know, I think, I think the Premier League has replicated a game of this standard yet. You know, so and, and that's what I thought we would get in the City-Liverpool game, but that game was pretty, you know, whatever. How good do you think Marco Royce can be moving into his 30s? Look, man, the Marco Royce story is amazing. This guy should be done. If you're out for, and I think they said two years, the amount of injuries this guy's had, he should be done. I've always said that Marco Royce at his peak was arguably the best attacking midfield in the world, as in the best guy breaking from midfield. It's difficult to know, but look, man, this guy is having a crazy resurgence that doesn't make any sense. For a guy of his age, with all of his injuries, to be this pivotal to a team who are now seven points out of Bayern and as top of the, the Bundesliga is bloody amazing. So it depends. It just doesn't make sense for him to still be playing at this level after all the injuries in your 30s. Look, man, let's just, I mean, let, let's see what the dude does, man. But yeah, it's, it's amazing to watch. He's, <laughs> the guy is bloody good. At his best, the guy is extremely good and great to watch. Uh, I'm just going to he is 29 at the moment I think I said last week about how it is basically all the attacking players at Dortmund have gone I listen to Marco um, I hope he, he, he I'd like him to have some silverware he, the only big trophy as to his name is a super cup and a league title in Austria I think in one of the lower divisions so uh, let's get him some hardware right now if he stays fit I very much think Dortmund can win it it being the Bundesliga, but it very much relies on him staying fit, so we shall see. Um, elsewhere in Europe, I guess we can go to Spain quickly. Barcelona took an L. To can I say something Venice. controversial? If you're going to say that Barcelona are better without Messi... You always say something controversial. That's never stopped you before. I'm going to mute you, but go. <laughs> Would it be so bad to drop Messi? Now, can I elaborate? Can I elaborate? <laughs> <laughs> so can I, can I, can I elaborate now? That may seem shocking. Stage of the podcast, if something stupid always is said. Go ahead. That may seem shocking because you don't, you do not drop the best club player in the world. You don't drop a guy that is that good. But by that, what I mean is, Barcelona's best performances this season have occurred without Messi. They were amazing against Inter Milan. They were amazing against Real Madrid, and they were amazing in their comeback against Real Vallecano. I don't think it's a coincidence that the game that Messi comes back, Betis drop four Gs. And they lose 4-3. And my thing about this is this. Of course, you can't drop Messi. So that statement is just to get people listening. Of course, you can't drop him. But when Messi plays, the team have to readjust to him being there. When Messi wasn't there, it's like, oh, everybody can now have the ball. We can now get our passing game going. Suarez can now be a lot more involved. Coutinho can be a lot more involved. There's just a bit much more of a freedom of like, okay, no, we're now a team now. Once Messi's there, he has to hold the ball because he's the best player on the pitch. He has Everything has to go through him. So everybody's game sort of drops because they're like, nope, Messi's the guy. Let's just feed off of him. And it just doesn't seem to be working as well as it did when he's not there. So my thing is, okay, maybe don't drop Messi, which is crazy. But there has to be a case of where Messi, you have to maybe take less touches of the ball and try and fit into what I want. Because again, I think the thing is, that, wait a minute, it's Messi. Look, we'll win. But what if Messi is still there and they keep losing games, drawing games? Remember, Messi was in the pitch when they lost to Leganes. So, you know, it's something that Valverde has to make a really big decision on of like, because Messi holds a lot of power, deservedly so, based on what the guy's done. So it's a case where Valverde has been like, you know what? 
Messi, let me just have a sit down and can you readjust the game to actually maybe accommodate the other players in your team? Have you ever heard the term correlation doesn't equal causation? I know, this, this is what I'm getting at. So because Messi joins and they lose, then maybe we should consider benching Messi. Or at least the hypothetical is something interesting to think about. You know, no, not yet, no. The argument, the argument that Messi should be rested more and, and Barcelona should, should be Messi-less, um, I, will, I will go for that argument when you consider that La Liga, I think, you know, Barcelona's problems aren't the fact that Messi's there and Messi is particularly, you know, I think if I'm understanding hope here, a lot of the attacking plays channel through Messi rather than, a lot of players are thinking, just give it to Messi rather than dealing with the situation themselves. I don't think that's a problem. I think a problem is the fact that Barcelona are old. We've seen this in all of the, you know, the classic big three sides in Europe. Um, this year, especially in the year post-World Cup, Bayern are old, Real Madrid are old, Barcelona are old. It's not Messi being there that is potentially disrupting things. It's the fact that Barcelona's spine is a 30-something Luis Suarez, a 30-something Lionel Messi, a 30-something Sergio Busquets, and a 30-something Piquet. They're old, man. It's God bleeds. Suarez had two of his best games in the last few few games. Last few games, just because you can switch it on on one or two games, does not lead me to believe you should drop one of the greatest players of all time just to see if Suarez can do it for fifteen more games. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> folly. That's absolute folly. This is not Ewing theory. This is not club players of all time. Not credit club. This is not. This is not the same problem Manchester United had with late stage Wayne Rooney. Lionel Messi is one of the greatest ever creative players of all time. There was a Guardian article that came out earlier today in the United Kingdom that basically said, "Where was that start for the World Cup, man? That start doesn't help him win a Cup of America." <laughs> We're talking about our leaders here. But I, I really like the fact that you. I like the fact that you, you've mentioned that because now I can talk about. Uh, one man who Messi's fate will always be tied to, Gonzalo Higuain. Dan? <laughs> no, take it. Take it away. Uh, so, Gonzalo Higuain, now at AC Milan, had, had just a terrible time of it playing against Juventus this weekend. Juventus beat AC Milan 2-0. Gonzalo Higuain missed the penalty. Brick, brick, brick. And got sent off. Um, sorry, let me get that stat for you. Lionel Messi has either created or scored 46% of Barcelona's goals in La Liga in the past decade. Let's really, really, really underline there is no version of Barcelona that is better without Messi. Okay. All right. Moving on. Okay, Sarah, so can someone Sarah. tell me why Higuain was so mad? Because he missed a penalty and he lets his emotions get the better of him. And, and he correct. missed a penalty against his old club because he knew he, he wanted to score that penalty badly. He missed the penalty. They were losing the game. He sarcastically clapped to the referee after receiving a yellow card. The referee said, what? You're going to say what to me? You're going to badmouth me? Take another yellow, bro. Get off my pitch. I don't know. I, I saw. I saw his meltdown. I was just like, "Why? Why are you so mad? Like, just you're wasting time. Just go." God, the guy's a brick, man. Sorry, I'll take right now. Juventus are six points clear on thirty-four. Yeah, currently still unbeaten. <laughs> still, still unbeaten in, in the in the best of the rest. Napoli on twenty-eight points. Inter Milan on twenty-five. Lazio on twenty-two. Hmm. It is. It is quite nice looking at the resurgence of Inter Milan. Um, interesting, Roma only sixth with 19 points. Roma, who I, I, I tip for top four, I think you two both had done so as well. Mm. They won 4-1 uh, 
um, on the weekend. But it, it, the, the new signs aren't quite gelling. I didn't think they would, but they do miss Nangala, despite the fact Inter Milan lost 4-1 on the weekend as well. It, it's all topsy-turvy in Serie A. It's just a shame that Juventus are so dominant right at the top. Seven, so you've, Juventus have won the Serie A seven times in a row. Can we just give it to them now? It's eight. When you consider where they were in 2010. No. Let me let me whirl it back even further. When you consider where they were post Serie B. So they get relegated Serie B. They come back up. How uh, scratching and clawing and trying to figure out a way to get back in there. And how the last, the last side to win Serie A that wasn't Juventus was an AC Milan side that was powered by Thiago Silva and Ibrahimovic. It's, it feels like a lifetime ago. That, that is the sign of what a good director of football can do. That is Marotta's work at Juventus going, we've just come back from relegation to Serie B. We don't have as much money as everyone else. We're finishing roughly sixth place in Europa League spots. How do we go from where we are now to completely dominate Serie A? That's what a good director of football can do. That is, a good director of football would be able to, is able to correctly identify the correct successors when Antonio Conte. When Conte leaves and they bring in Allegri, it is Marotta's work and other people in Juventus higher up to go Allegri with the correct person to see Conte. So you don't have this weird gear shift happen at Manchester United where you go from Alex Ferguson to David Moyes to, to Louis van Gaal to Jose Mourinho. I was listening to uh, pieces of your hangout from yesterday oh, and wow. you said that you've never seen a club win two, three leagues in a row or something like that. Because I didn't watch League on when Leon did their whole thing. So. I was about to mention it. Like, I think they won seven. Straight. Yeah, seven, seven. I remember, like, United the most was three three, three times. I think once you get to – because five, five is, is a nice number. Once you get to five, then you should punch anybody in the face who bets against the team who won it five times in a row. But, like, once you're not getting to seven, that's, like, stupid. Like, and that's a real issue. So that's why it's weird. Is it a case of where, oh, my gosh, this just shows what an amazing team Juventus is. Well, how many Champions Leagues have they won? <laughs> if they were such an amazing team, you would have at least won one Champions League in hey, the last that's, seven that's period. very unfair when you consider they've made it to two finals. That they lost in. <laughs> yeah, they, they lost in. They lost in yeah, because so they were playing. So, yeah, they so lost, so hang on, hang on, hang on. They lost because they were playing two two generational talents. Two of the yeah. greatest players of all time. Oh, like, according to you, actually. Not, that's, that's not exactly <laughs> so. Getting to a Champions League final twice means you've beaten at least probably two or three really good teams on your way there. Yep. No prize for getting to the finals about winning. Lose, so you do get a prize. You get like second in 2015. Medal. They lose to Barcelona in 2015. Avenge yeah. that, get to the final again, and end up losing to Cristiano Ronaldo's Real Madrid. Yeah. They still lost. No, the point is, did they win a Champions League in this seven-year stint? The answer is no. In this seven-year stint, teams that have better... In this seven-year stint in Champions League history, the only teams that have better Champions League records are Real Madrid, uh, Barcelona. We're talking seven years, so up until 2011. Bayern won one, lost one. Yeah, yeah Bayern won one, lost one. Atletico Madrid, we lost two and, you know, have had recent complications in the Europa League. Yeah, that's it. Juventus are, are in this seven-year spell, top five, which is, you know, oh, no, but everyone knows they're top five in Europe. But so the point they've done to... nothing. No, they've become a top five dominating force in the Champions League, which when you consider a decade ago, they were playing... Europa League football. And then before that, Juventus have the, perhaps the worst losing record in Champions League final histories right now. They've got a horrible itch they can't scratch. Is it two and five? Yeah, they're, they're two and five. 
<laughs> no, no, no. Okay, but look, see, the, the point I was trying to make, the Juventus, of course, they're a very good team. It's amazing what they've done post Calcio Poli and so forth. But my thing about this is that it's more a case of the other, a lot of the other Serie A teams are, are trash. Let's just be, be real. Um, Roma, in, Napoli are pretty good. Send all your hate to have hope. I would have really hope to point out the other Serie A teams are trash because Juventus have cannibalized them in the same way that Bayern have done it. In the same way that for a while Chelsea did it, and the same way that how City did it to Arsenal and City did it to Aston Villa, other teams in Serie A are bad because Juventus bought their players. If I could get this question out, because I'm I'm actually curious and we're running out of time. Do you think Serie A is a competitive league? Because people who watch Serie A will tell you, once you get past Juventus, the rest are actually quite competitive, whether it's Inter, Roma, <laughs> Milan, etc. Oh, but then, but then, but then Juventus win the league seven, eight times in a row. So do you think that a te- if a team wins a league over five times in a row, can that league be defined as competitive? <sighs> it's a good question. I'd say yes. I'd say, I'd say, I, I'd say it is. I'd say I've spoken on this podcast a lot about how we have to stop using the top 1% of football to disregard 99% of what else is going on. And the point I was trying to make is if the other teams in Serie A are trash, it's because Juve made it that way, right? Mm-hmm. Napoli have two or three times look like they're going to have a very, very compelling title race. And then Juventus went, all right, just buy your best player. When Napoli had the three musketeers and looked like they were going to do spectacular things in Serie A and be a rival for Juventus for ages, Juventus went out and bought Higuain. When Juventus were dealing with Florentina sniffing around, they went off and bought Bernadeschi. Miriam Kankic, doing fantastic things for Roma, now plays for Juventus. Juventus have... Followed Bayern's creed of strengthening yourself and weaken others. In the same way that Bundesliga is quite entertaining when you stop looking at Bayern Munich, or that actually the Scottish League is quite fun if you don't care that Celtic are going to win all the time. There, there, there is an entertainment to be had there. And the, a lot of it is, a lot of the league is the way it is because you have a team, once you win two or three, especially in a league where you go two or three and you get a deep Champions League run, as compared to the side that finishes second or third and maybe gets knocked out in group stages you can use that extra money to buy the second or third best player in the league and play somewhere else. This is why, you know, we spoke on this podcast before about how the Premier League is slightly more competitive because it's very, because of the tribal and rivalries, it's a lot harder for the second best team to buy a player from the fifth best team. It's hard to go from Chelsea to Spurs. And it's not, it's different from going from Roma to Juventus. Um, and because of that, Juventus has been able to maintain their hegemony at the top of the league. Serie A, Juventus are where they are because they have been managed fantastically. They've got a fantastic strategy in their director of football and their directors, and they spend their money very, very well. It is not because the other league teams in the league are rubbish. If the other teams in the league are rubbish, it's because Juventus made them that way. See, like, I think have hope and I are on the other side. Like, I don't think your league could be competitive if the champion is in like six, seven, eight now. <laughs> it's just like if you define competitive by like, title races and like who's going to win this league if there's only one answer then how can it be competitive if there's only one person who can win you know what i mean so like even la liga where there's really only two teams that can win maybe three in a good year just because there's variance in who can win i would call la liga competitive because it could be barcelona it could be real madrid maybe atletico if they get their act together Premier League is getting to a point where maybe it's not that all competitive because Man City looks so good, but there hasn't been back-to-back champions since 2008, 2009. So that's competitive. But the other leagues, PSG, 
They won again. I think they have 13, uh, 39 points. It's just. Yeah. Just League, we're going to have Andre. We're gonna have to speak about Andre. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they lost. Monaco lost to PSG 4 0, I think. Cavani got a hat trick. Uh... If, if you know your times three times tables, <laughs> if you know them up to 38, you might know how many points PSG can get because like, they're not going to lose. <laughs> so, like, 13 times three is 39. So, they have 39 points. I don't know what 13 times 38 is. It might be 106 oh, or something like that. I don't know. 16? Quick, quickly on, on Henri, what do you think, Double H? Any hope? Please, I know. Henri, if you're listening to me, <laughs> you are, you bonjour, are the bonjour, greatest Premier League player of all time. Forget about best foreign player. That's crap. You're the best Premier League player of all time. You are a legend of the game of what you did in France and Aston. I am begging you, Henri, in the words of um, Marcellus, Wallace in um, Pulp Fiction, get rid of your pride. Just get rid of your flipping pride. Put it to one side. Quit. Hand in your resignation. This is not a situation you, sh you, sh you should be in. Because it shouldn't harm your legacy. It shouldn't. But it will. If you are the manager that was in charge of, the, of a Monaco team that got relegated. Because, look, this goes back to the whole thing with the FFP and how I think football should be run. Because Monaco should have been able to keep up a hold of all of those players. Mendy, Mbappe, Bernardo Silva, so forth. Even before, the Martinos, the James yeah, Rodriguez. Yeah. So basically, like, if we had proper parity in football, Monaco would actually be a really good team and would actually have a very interesting league on title race between them and PSG. But that, that didn't happen. And they lost a whole lot of their players. And these guys, obviously, have not been able to gel well. They need... See, this Monaco team needs an experienced manager. They need somebody who has years in the game to really just get down to the basics of tactics and trying to winning games. Henri, you, you don't have that. See, Henri, you, need to, you needed to have stepped into a Barnes situation, a Real Madrid situation, something like that. This, you don't step into this situation. This is, this is a relegation situation which requires a whole other part of managerial expertise that you just do not have because you don't have the years. Mm. So, and I think Henri's pride will not allow him to quit. I get it. But I just, this could be really nasty. If you're a Sky Sports pundit, like just because you can draw on the on the Neville. magic whiteboard, like Neville. that doesn't mean you can manage, bro. <laughs> Neville, Neville found that out, man. Is that Neville yeah, 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 yeah. talked and talked? He went to Valencia, flopped. <laughs> like being a pundit is very different from being a manager. Right. And I think I don't know whether it was Alan Hansen, someone who was a really good pundit. They get to ask you, say, how come we don't go into management? He said, nah, nah, sorry. I wouldn't go into because he knew that now. Nah, management and punditry are two different worlds, man. Being a great pundit doesn't mean you make a great man manager. It doesn't. Mm, so like being a great player doesn't mean you make a great manager as well. True. Pray for Henri, basically, is where we're at. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So last topic, if you guys want it. The super classical happened. I didn't watch it, but uh, apparently you guys did. So if you want to talk about Boca River Plate, it's his first leg of the Copa Libertadores, the South American Champions League. Sorry, I swallowed that title. Uh, it's by River versus Boca Juniors, Argentine, two of Argentina's biggest sides. They absolutely hate each other. It's a game where away support are not allowed, such as the intense rivalry. If you follow South American football a bit, you know that most Super Classicos can be feisty on the pitch. The level of footballing quality can be quite low because both teams are very much too pre preoccupied with not losing. So they just end up beating each other up and drawing nil-nil or 1-1. One -one. 
what we got here was actually quite an interesting game. Neither side seemed to be able to defend set pieces and the game finished 2-2. Interestingly, it got delayed by 24 hours because it was washed out by rain on the Saturday. Also, Tennis plays for Boca for, for now, which is interesting. Does he still? Yeah, no, no. He, he, he came on in the second half. You can watch these goals on Goal UK in the United Kingdom. And if I remember correctly, the second leg will be on the 24th of November um, to the victors of the spoils. Copper 90 have this fantastic video series called Derby Days where they just spend the weekend with football fans and just soak in all the atmosphere. And this was one where the presenter, he's always dreamed of doing this one and then got there for this game and was very much like, I might die. So, yeah. Have <laughs> uh, you watched the game too? Yeah, no, no, no. Very entertaining game. Obviously, like, poor the, the defending, but you can see just how tense these games are. Because again, like also, it's also a, because the thing about the, for me, it is the, it's, it is, officially the fiercest dub in the world. Like, I get the whole pig's head thing with Figo and the Real Madrid-Barcelona thing, but this is the most fierce dub in the world. And also, it's, it's, it's like rich versus poor. Boca are like the poor streets kind of club. River Plate are the much more richer kind of thing. So that is also another undercurrent that, that plays into it. And Maradona, a man of the people, he's a Boca guy through and through. And I think he ended his career playing for Boca Junior. So... Real players are in the driving seat. It's 2-2, which means that they are away on, on, on away goals and the home tie will be played at River Plate. And I think looking at the game, I think River Plate are the better team. River Plate definitely are the favourites to pretty much seal the title. Cool. We'll talk about that uh, the second, like in a couple of weeks, maybe three. Um, so yeah, that's our podcast this week. Unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, very quickly, it seems like Daniel Sturridge is in trouble. Uh, he's been charged with misconduct by the FA for breaches of its betting rules. Um, oh, no. So he, he's been placing bets. FA law, you cannot bet on football in the nation that you're in. So Sturridge has been betting on something to do with English football. There is current rumour and conjecture, so unconfirmed reports, just Twitter speak, that he essentially put money on him going to West Brom when that was available. Um, <laughs> Get it how you live, Sturridge. Liverpool have given, Liverpool the football club have given, given him their support. Um, Daniel, Daniel Sturridge himself has said he categorically denies the fact he's ever gambled on football. In other news, Santiago Solari has been appointed, is set to be appointed as the permanent manager of Real Madrid. Really interesting thing about Real, um, Spanish football is that you can only be the interim manager for two weeks and then you have to name your permanent manager. Huh. Uh, I think it's quite cool. It, it means you, ju- you don't have a, a David Unsworth or a... Um, Shakespeare situation. Indeed. You have to name that person as the permanent manager if you want to keep them on. And therefore, you have to give that person correct contracts. So yeah, those, those are two big jump out stories that have happened since we've recorded. And no doubt, the moment this thing goes to broadcast, something big will happen as well. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, it's, it's an... It's an inevitability. Oh, tongue twister. Anyway, have hope. You got anything? Or no, we can go. Yeah, no, no. Let's let us let's 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 ride out. Let's ride out. All right. Yeah, this was the Talking Tactics podcast where we do this every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Talking Tactics, Facebook Talking Tactics three five two, Instagram Talking Tactics. Follow us on SoundCloud if you would. Um, we're close to four hundred. So again, if you can follow us there, that'd be dope. On Apple Podcasts, subscribe. It's free for now. Spotify. I didn't I didn't mention Spotify at the beginning. So yeah, shout out to people on Spotify. Listen on Spotify. Carl, where can the people find you? Anchorman 616. Double H, where, where can the people find you one time? At Half Hope Hot. 
I'm at Daniel to look. This has been Talking Tactics, sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always for ball. Indeed. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Peace. Right. Peace, peace, peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.